This is Residence 104.4 FM. I'm Nick Hennigan. How are you doing? Welcome to another slice of literary London where we talk about, well, you know, things to do with literature and, well, things to do with London. Yeah? You get the idea. Uh, we're also podcasts, don't you know? Oh, around the world on all your favourite podcast places. And, of course, at uh, bohemianbritain.com. Uh, which is a website I set up last year for the Edinburgh Festival, actually. Um, it's a bit of a joke because we were voted at my podcast, uh, the Resonance FM show, was voted the number two bohemian podcast in the world to follow by, uh, I think it was by Feedspot. Um, number one is in New York somewhere. And it made me laugh slightly because I thought, how can you be a successful bohemian? Does it mean you kind of have two tins of beer, maybe? Uh, you know, two extra cans of baked beans, uh, two slices of... Ba- I mean, anyway, I just kind of... It was slightly incongruous. You know, perhaps you've got a smaller garret in which to create than other Bohemian podcasts. Mm. So, anyway, it got me slightly thinking, and we've set up Bohemian Britain as a website, uh, and these shows are on it, and also interviews and videos. It's a bit of a mess, actually. It's um, a writer's life in London, as you may know if you've been following me for a while. Uh, I, uh, I'm a writer. <laughs> yes, but my, what an idiot. Oh, no, I should have got a proper job. My mother warned me. Uh, but, uh, and I wrote a thing called the London Literary Pub Crawl, which um, we did for the London Olympics, the 2012 Olympics. Um, as is... As is the want of many writers, <clears throat> I kind of miss me deadline. Yes, but we did get it on eventually just after the Olympics. They wouldn't put the Olympics off for me. I don't know why. I asked them, but no, they wouldn't. Uh, but then, of course, as is the way of uh, the modern Tinterweb, people just kept booking tickets. So uh, I say 2012 was the first one, and it's what are we now? It's been going for a few years. Um, obviously, completely stymied during the lockdown, uh, during the pandemic, but uh, it's starting to pick up again now. And so occasionally, what I do is I do what I'm doing right now is I'm not in the studio, I'm in a pub. <laughs> what? I hear you cry. Don't cry. It's all right. Yes, I'm in a pub. In fact, cheers. Mm. Oh, aye. a drop of the cold stuff, as we say. Um, and it's another in our occasional series looking at writers, London, or writers and London. Um, and what I do occasionally is I take an area of London or a particular speciality and we just talk about it. Uh, obviously, quite often I interview writers about their books, um, but quite often I'll do a little, a few extracts. And this is a favourite of mine, um, and it's actually called, let me just get it here on one hand, I'll put my pint down. It's called Writers London by Carrie Kanya, I hope I've said that right, and Alan, Alan Oliver. Um, and it's, it's kind of a cool little book. I mean, obviously, London is the centre of the world. Sorry about that, New York. Um, always a vibrant hub for the literary world is London, and that's why we do the London Literary Pub Crawl, of course. Um, Shakespeare, of course, Amos, Byron, Plath, Orwell, Lessing, some of the greatest names in literature have lived, worked, played, and of course, drunk in the great metropolis. So, um, famous writer stories, I suppose. Uh, Joe Orton was murdered by his lover at his home in Islington. Dylan Thomas left his manuscript in a Soho pub. The story is that it was the only manuscript to undermilk wood. Um, and he left it in a Soho pub. And there are various stories around that. He actually got it back. Uh, there are stories about someone realising it and taking it to his publishers and then the secretary running after him. Uh, there's another story about uh, uh, how one of the bar people um, 
tracked him down uh, and gave him the script back. And most pubs in Soho tend to claim to be the one where Dylan Thomas famously left his only manuscript of Undermilk Wood. Um, there's other great characters, obviously. William Blake. William Blake is a favourite of mine. He's in the London Literary Pop Crawl as well. Um, considered mad by his contemporaries, but William Blake saw visions of angels on Peckham Rye. Uh, and in fact was born in Soho. There's now a block of flats where he was born. Um, of course, quite famously, he wrote those uh, lyrics and did those feet in ancient times, which was put to music by Hubert Parry in, I think, 1911, was it? I don't know. Land of Hope and Glory. Anyway, uh, Jerusalem, I should say. Sorry, <laughs> Jerusalem. I mentioned Land of Hope and Glory because uh, we think that was actually written at a pub called The Dove, which is a beautiful little pub, one of my faves as well, in Hammersmith. Uh, and we're going to look at West London in a moment. Um, but yes, the, the Dove in Hammersmith's been there for, oh, I think there's been a pub there since about the 1500s. And it's a lovely, lovely area. It is. Kenneth Graham, of course, the writer, was shot at three times. They all missed at the Bank of England. Um, we're actually going to start soon. I don't want to sound like a commercial, but I'm actually, I wrote a few, a few years ago a Fleet Street pub crawl. Because, of course, Fleet Street's another fascinating part of London. Um, considered to be the home of journalism, there were, I think, the first journalists or newspapers opened up there in about the 1700s, I think. It's been a while since I wrote the script. Uh, and of course, rather sadly, the last journalists, after hundreds of years, have now moved out. There are no more journalists in Fleet Street. But I've written this tour and found some of the pubs that people used to go to. And the reason I'm reminded of that is the Bank of England uh, used to be, I think, uh, in that sort of area. Um, and there's a pub there called the Bank of England. That's another reason why I know it. Yes. Yes. So um, this is this is this writer's London book has been very well researched, guides you through some of the homes and the bookshops and the pubs and cemeteries, neighbourhood by neighbourhood, um, where some of the literary greats were born and bred and loved and lost and drank and of course died. Uh, the two writers I've got a little biography on them. Carrie Car Carrie Kanye, I hope I've said that right, has been in publishing for a very long time. It says here first in New York and now in London. She lives with her husband, Ash, their dog, Foxy, and a lot of books in Soho. I'm surprised I haven't met her. I'm a member of the Soho Society as well. They're a, they're a good organisation to join if you live or work in Soho. Um, yeah, they are a good organisation. They've, they've helped an awful lot with planning in the past. I think they're one of the first community associations in London, if my memory serves me correctly. Or maybe they weren't. But anyway, that's Carrie. The other writer uh, of this book is called Alan Oliver. And he studied creative writing at Birkbeck College. And I'm very fond of Birkbeck College because it's where I went. Hey, yes, I actually did go to university, believe it or not. I mean, I was 50, by the way, before I got there. I went to what they call a secondary modern school. So I left school at 15 without any qualifications. And uh, it's uh, I, I, I'm aware of that because we're actually the Maverick Theatre Company pointed out to me that it's 30 years ago in 2022 that I wrote my first adaptation called Henry V, Lion of England. It was a version of, guess what? Yeah, Henry V by Shakespeare. Um, and I did it for one night at the Midlands Arts Centre in Birmingham. And literally that night, it got picked up by a lovely chap called John Starkey of Star Ward. Uh, they used to manage uh, people like Jasper Carrot and Phil Cool at the time. And it was in the bar afterwards. He said, that would be great. I'd like to take you to the Edinburgh Festival. And so we went. And after that, Henry V, Line of England, ended up sort of going all around the world. And it's been 30 years since I wrote the first one. Thank you. Yes, I am that old. I might sound youthful. But it's a bit of a ploy. And uh, so 30 years ago, yeah. 
Um, we're actually going to do a version. We're going to do a, a small tour of it, I, I think, very much. But uh, so eventually I did get to university. I did a master's degree. I didn't think I'd get on it, actually, because I hadn't got an undergraduate degree. But I've got what they call postdoctoral experience, love. Oh, yes. Um, because I've been, it was in creative producing. And I'd been writing and producing theatre for quite a long time. I think it was almost the university sympathy vote. Hmm? Yes. So Alan, anyway, studied creative writing at Birkbeck College. And in fact, they, I'm trying to think of the head of the course, the creative writing course, is very well thought of. In fact, Birkbeck's a brilliant uh, institution. It's an evening university generally, although my master's was a full-time course. Uh, but it means you can study in the evenings if you want to. And I gather it's, is it in one of the, the Brooks University? It's quite, it's quite a, it's a big research university. Apparently very, very big with NASA, apparently. Yes, they do all sorts of that. And uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I like the library and the Birkbeck Bar, but uh, yes, it was, uh, it was grand. And Alan, when he's not reading, can be found creating bespoke handwoven rugs. Isn't that great? He lives in South London with his dog Delia and a lot of looms. And the book's published uh, by, uh, I think it's called The Art Press. Let me just, I'll work that out in a minute. I'll give you the publishing. Um, yes, Akart akartbooks.com is their website. Um, and so, so thank them, I'd like to thank them for the sort of stimulation for this. And I thought what we'd do basically is have a quick look at uh, sort of at Kensington and Earl's Court. Um, the Fimbra Theatre did a thing called Earl's Court Miscellany. 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 <laughs> Earl's Court Miscellany. Gee, I should have practised that one. I've only had two sips as well. I'm actually talking of which. Cheers. Oh, yeah. Go on. Uh, uh. Oh, it's wet and cold, which is all that matters. Um, yes, and uh, um, uh, so the, the Fimbra Theatre is uh, a great new writing theatre. Uh, and that's what made me think about um, Kensington and Earl's Court. And of course, the famous quote by Patrick Hamilton in his brilliant Hangover Square, to, whom, uh, to those whom God has forsaken is first given a gas fire in Earl's Court. Yes, that's Patrick Hamilton from Hangover Square. Um, and in fact, if you look back through the archives of this very, very radio show, um, there's a review of Hangover Square, Patrick Hamilton, uh, and it's performed by two friends of mine, really. Uh, Mark Elliott, who you might know from EastEnders and from uh, Holby City, and Caroline Morris, who's an actor who was also in um, uh, in the West End quite a lot. Uh, it's a great, great show. I might try and sort of reissue it again, uh, if you because uh, they're a good punch and of course I said things like get out of my pub quite a lot I went do 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 do, do for Mark yeah um, he played the part anyway I won't, I won't talk about what the part he played it was, it's, it's irrelevant now isn't it because it's uh, it's on the archive anyway um, so we're on to the more, sort of more famous writers that lived around Kensington and Earl's Court possibly the most famous really is T.S. Eliot well, not the most famous, but a very famous writer, T.S. Eliot, Thomas Stearns Eliot, who also features on the literary pub crawl. Um, he's actually an American uh, originally, and then he uh, he converted and became British, don't you know? Yes. And, and in 1957, he moved to Kensington, uh, more precisely, 3 Kensington Court, uh, W8, um, with his new wife. His new wife was actually his former secretary, Valerie. Yes. So the couple remained in uh, Kensington Court until Elliot's death. Um, actually, in her, he was at home when he died in 1965, I think. Comedian Groucho Marx, you know Groucho Marx, a fan of Elliot's writing, famously visited the poet at Kensington Court. 
as did other notable figures of the time. Um, despite a 36-year-old age difference between the two, the couple seemed very happy. And when not spending a night in, they'd go to the theatre in the West End and attend dinners and literary parties. Valerie continued to live at Kensington Court until her death in 2012. So it wasn't that long ago, really. Friend and mentee Ted Hughes, of course, would uh, officially unveil an English heritage plaque to Elliot uh, at the flat in uh, 1992. Uh, and I've seen it, yes. So if you go to Kensington Court, number three Kensington Court, Kensington W8, the home and a death place of T.S. Eliot, Thomas Stearns Eliot. Uh, another interesting writer, Christopher Isherwood. He was at 19 Pembroke Gardens in Kensington W8. Um, he lived there while studying medicine at King's College, which isn't too far away, is it? He gave up his studies to follow the poet W.H. Auden to Berlin. I'm glad he could afford it. And then this is another special writer. <laughs> G.K. Chesterton. God bless him. Have you, have you seen Father Brown on the telly? Yeah, I, I love it. It's sort of filmed. It's one of those afternoon BBC, brilliant BBC dramas that's, that's sort of soft and um, they do them very, very well. <laughs> yes. Um, and of course, G.K. Chesterton was the creator of Father Brown, Gilbert Chesterton, to give him his full name or his first name. Um, and he moved to 11 Warwick Gardens, Kensington W14, um, with his family when he was just three years old. So a real local boy. He lived there on and off until his marriage in 1901. Um, Gilbert, along with his youngest brother Cecil, were friendly with their neighbour, the writer um, Hilaire Belloc. And the three later founded New Witness magazine together. George Bernard Shaw, who lived nearby, described the influential Chesterton and Belloc um, sort of Iliad uh, on uh, as fellow writers as a as a caricatured cryptid known as the Chester Belloc. <laughs> so yes, God bless him, George Bernard Shaw. Also lived, of course, in uh, in Fitzrovia for quite a while. Who else was there? Well, William Makepeace Thackeray, uh, sixteen, Young Street, Kensington, W eight. Following the confinement of his wife to a private asylum in 1842, Thackeray's daughters um, went to live with their grandmother in Paris. And it was only when the writer moved into the house on Young Street in 1846 was uh, that he was reunited with them. Oh, that's a sad story, isn't it? Uh, and a relatively normal family life returned. So uh, William Makepeace Thackeray credited this happy reunion with inspiring him to finish Vanity Fair. With, uh, which was eventually published in serial form between January 1847 and July 1858. Prior to its uh, serialisation, it had been turned down by five publishers. You hear that such a lot, don't you, in publishing? It's like the guy that turned down the Beatles and the numerous publishers that turned down Joe Rowling, J.K. Rowling, with the uh, Harry Potter, the Harry Potter thing. Yes. And of course, if we're staying with famous Kensingtons, uh, Henry James lived at, uh, was at uh, 34 Devere Gardens, Kensington W8. After publishing Daisy Miller, Washington Square and Portrait of a Lady, Henry was able to move from Mayfair to a new larger home in Kensington. Yeah. He'd lived here for several years, entertaining notables such as Mark Twain, of course was in London, I think, for a while himself. Um, he would write that, he quotes, he would write that, my new quarters work beautifully. And uh, he'd be, uh, he'd be as, a quote, bourgeois as my means will permit and have large, fat sofas. 
good for him. Henry James at, um, yes, 34 Devere Gardens, Kensington, W8. Um, I suppose while we're down here, we should look a bit at Chelsea and Fulham, really, shouldn't we? You know, while we're in the area. Because um, uh, it's obviously renowned for its posh shops. In the 19th and much of the 20th centuries, Chelsea was considered to be London's bohemian quarter, uh, which is kind of unusual when you think of how it's you know, received now, or perceived now. Um, it was in, uh, inhabited by colonies of artists and writers um, from members of the pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood in the 1860s to the likes of Ian Fleming and Jean Rhys in the 1930s. As the 60s counterculture bloomed, swing in London, as it were, was defined by the King's Road in Chelsea. Uh, with kind of clothing boutiques and uh, locals like Keith Richards, of course, from the Stones. And then in the 1970s by Vivian Westwood's boutique Sex and suitably dressed pugs. However, by the time Margaret Thatcher's 1980s rolled around, Kensington's poorer cousin had started to smarten up. And today you'd be very unlikely to find many authors in Chelsea who were able to pay their rent with a publisher's advance. Yes. There are some notable bookshops in the area, though. I think Potterton Books is on uh, Lower Sloane Street, Chelsea. Um, New and Arts Photography Books, I think. Uh, what else is there? John Sando Books at uh, one uh, at 10 Blacklands Terrace, SW3, specialising in, uh, in the arts since 1957. I have to say I haven't checked all these books out, other bookshops out recently. Um, and I do worry that, of course, the current trend for online and of course the current pandemic may have uh, not helped them um school books uh so sorry so called books s-o-k-o-l at uh, 239a fulham road chelsea sw3 specializes in anything printed before 1640 um yeah brilliant one or two notables that lived in chelsea uh flat 104 chelsea gardens 91 to 104 chelsea bridge road sw1w Jerome K. Jerome, of course, who wrote one of his most notable ro uh, novels, Three Men in a Boat, while he was living in uh, Chelsea Gardens in 1889. I think he also lived in Fitzrovia, did he not? I think he did. Um, and he was another one of those writers that used to go out late at night and walk the streets. Something that Charles Dickens did. He was a great walker and thinker. Um, I often wondered if it's because the houses weren't very nice, but I'm sure it's not. Another famous, oh, another famous uh, person, uh, Samuel Beckett lived at 48 Paulton Square, Chelsea, SW3. Obviously the playwright and novelist, Samuel Beckett. And he lived for a short time in that sort of terraced Georgian Garden Square in 1934. And while he was there, Beckett worked on his first novel, Murphy, in which the main character dies in London. And of course, George Eliot, I've been there a few times, for Cheney Walk, Chelsea, SW3. Or should we say Mary Ann Evans, because that was her real name. But uh, obviously she was better known as George Eliot. She took her man's name because she knew women wouldn't get published back in those days. Um, but she lived there, she lived at Cheney Walk only for three weeks because she suddenly died from the flu just before Christmas in 1880 at the age of 61. Which is a shame, isn't it, really? Um and I suppose we must mention as well, not only the Royal Court, which is the new writing theatre, which uh, I tend to go to a lot. Uh, I do now, now it's open again. And in fact, for a while, their bar, you know, the Royal, Court, the Royal Court Bar, if you're a writer or a creator, the Royal Court Bar is quite a nice place to go because considering where it is, it's not that expensive. 
and the staff are very friendly and in the daytime it's usually not too busy um, and to get here you'll probably come out of Sloan Square Station which is of course in Sloan Square Chelsea SW1W um, and together with his four brothers Peter Llewellyn Davis the middle son of Arthur and Sylvia Llewellyn Davis were the inspiration for the Lost Boys of course and the Darling Brothers in J.M. Barry's beloved Peter Pan the boys were befriended by J.M. Barry when they met in Kensington Gardens. Peter was publicly identified by Barry as the source of the name of his title character, Peter Pan. But Davis himself hated the association and felt it plagued him throughout his life. Are you Peter Pan? No, I'm not. <laughs> Upon the death of J.M. Barry, of course, famously, his estate was left to his secretary and the copyright for Peter Pan to Great Ormond Street Hospital. Um, and of course, if you do Peter Pan nowadays, even you have to pay royalties to Great Ormond Street Hospital. And no one I know in theatre ever minds doing that. <laughs> um, it's interesting that Llewellyn Davies and his surviving brothers received a legacy from it. But Peter was reportedly resentful at not inheriting Barry's entire fortune as recompense for the notoriety he'd, ex he'd experienced after being linked with Peter Pan. It all went a bit wrong, really, because later in life, Davies uh, descended into alcoholism and depression. And on the 5th of April 1960, after drinking at the bar of the Royal Court Hotel, he jumped in front of an oncoming train at Sloan Square Station, which is really tragic, isn't it? Headlines at the time reported that the boy who never grew up is dead. Sad story, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean... I mean, you can't really comment. I'm, we assume, I assume now that we'd be slightly better now. We're slightly better at dealing with mental health issues than we were back there. But I kind of, and I don't, I can't, you know, I was never Peter Pan, but I had a little bit of time when I was on the radio and I was a bit famous. Uh, and I found that really difficult to deal with. I was in Birmingham at the time. There were no private clubs to go to, like there are in London, you know. None of that. And I, I found that I ended up just kind of hanging around with the same people all the time uh, in one particular pub. <laughs> uh, and they'd shove me up the corner so I wouldn't have to do sort of too many articles, uh, autographs, I should say. Possibly one of the most famous Chelsea residents, writers, is got to be Agatha Christie, who lived at 48 Swan Court, Chelsea, SW3. And uh, Agatha and her second husband would call Chelsea their London home for nearly three decades, from 1948 until her death in 1976. It was while she was living here that she'd write some of her most successful novels, including Third Girl, which was set in Swan Court, where she lived. Christie would frequently be found eating at the restaurant Betty's, which was located on the ground floor of the block. The spacious one-bed flat was put up for sale in 2017 for just under £1 million. And again, if you look back through the archive, I've talked to an author, well, author and producer, actually. In fact, all-round good guy. He's a bit of a god. Julius Green, his name is. Uh, I think he's now Dr. Julius Green. Uh, and I met him when I was at Burbank. He was one of our lecturers. He is the, also a theatre producer, currently working for Bill Kenwright Limited. Bill Kenwright, of course, is one of the most prolific uh, theatre producers in the UK um, and uh, Julius is a big fan of Agatha Christie and he's written a book it's a very big heavy book called uh, I think I haven't got it with me at the moment so I'm in the pub it's Agatha Christie my uh, her life in theatre um, and it's fascinating and I say have a look back through the archives uh, on Resonance 104.4 FM and also have a look at um, bohemianbritain.com and I have half an hour chatting to Julius about the books he's written he's written three books now one is called uh, I think it's called Spies and Showbiz <laughs> so I've got that wrong as well but it's about 
showbiz people who were spies, basically. The other book is Agatha Christie, uh, A Life in Theatre. And, and it's fascinating because she seems to have looked on writing books as her day job. But her hobby and her great fun was, of course, writing theatre. And, of course, as we know, The uh, the Mousetrap is now the longest-running uh, play in the world, I think. Certainly in London, it's been running for years and years and years. Um, and Julius is a great fan of Agatha Christie. Uh, and he writes with great warmth and affection about her. And their, their books are really worth having a look at if you if you get a chance. Uh, as I say, and failing that, uh, go back in the archives at bohemianbritain.com or Resonance FM and you'll hear Julius talking about both, um, well, all of his books. Of course, the third book he wrote was Producing a West End Show. Uh, and that's all about putting a show on in the West End, obviously, which is kind of what he does extremely successfully and has, has done for, for a long time. Uh, another famous resident while we're staying west in Chelsea um, is, of course, Quentin Crisp, who lived at 129 Beaufort Street in Chelsea, SW3. So after living in a series of bedsits, he um, the sort of famed memorist, I suppose you'd call him, yes, and art model, finally settled in this modest room in Chelsea, where he lived for more than 40 years. He relocated finally to New York City in 1981, where he took up residence in a similar flat. He reportedly never bothered to clean it, saying that after the first four years, the dirt doesn't get any worse. You know, I can kind of, I can kind of relate to that, really. Yeah. And uh, finally, where are we? Yes, finally, uh, Thomas Carlyle. Lived at 24 Cheney Row. I just put my glasses on, so I'm going to need to research this. Yes, Cheney Row, Chelsea SW3. A mathematician he was, of course, and a historian and an essayist, Thomas Carlyle. And his wife moved to Chelsea in 1834 and lived there for the rest of their lives, renting the house for £35 a year. <laughs> Although at the time Chelsea was considered unfashionable, the house became one of the, quote, places to be for Victorians... Uh, Victorian London's leading thinkers with frequent visitors including Charles Dickens and Alfred Lord Tennyson. Dickens cited Carlyle's three-volume The French Revolution, published in 1837, as a major resource for his A Tale of Two Cities. Today, the majority of the house remains furnished and intact and is open to the public. So get yourself down to 24 Cheney Road. Cheney Row, I should say. Chelsea SW3. I like the fact that... Um, William P. Stackery, we've already mentioned, said of Tom Carlyle, he said, Tom Carlyle lives in perfect dignity in a house in Chelsea with a snuffy Scotch maid to open the door and best company in England ringing at it. That's kind of cool, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, and that's about all time we've got time we've got for. That's all we've got time for, I should say. And also, my pint's getting warm, so I'd better move on. Thanks again to Writers London uh, by Carrie uh, Kenya and Alan Oliver. Thanks also to the London Literary Pop Crawl. Uh, and uh, if you'd like to get in touch, then as always, the easiest way is probably email radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk I'm on Twitter as well. I think it's at Lit London Radio. I'll check it out. I'll check it out. <laughs> in the meantime, keep smiling, my loves. It will only get better. And uh, I'll see you next time. I'm Nick Hennigan. This is Literary London on Resonance 104.4 FM. <laughs>